0: Memoirs of a Mackenzie Friend is sponsored by IAMLIP.com. Trigger Warning Memoirs of a Mackenzie Friend deals with the subject of divorce, child custody, domestic abuse, the attitude of public bodies, and the family court. Some people may find the content of this episode distressing. Some episodes contain explicit language. those few key moments, those few key incidences that will not only stay with us forever, but will change our outlook on something particular for the rest of our lives. For me, it was the day I saw a magistrate in the family court burst out laughing when this hate-filled defence barrister suggested that the woman I was supporting wasn't attractive enough for her abuser husband to want to rape her. As if that is what rape is all about. No not just rape, as if that is what marital rape is all about. I knew these outdated tropes existed. I also knew that there were many judges who were still out of touch. I wasn't that naive. But to actually see it happen in front of me with my own eyes, was that really the reality of our family courts? My name is Anjali Maya Chadder and I'm an actor and a writer and the creator of Memoirs of a Mackenzie Friend. But before we get to episode one, I wanted to do this introduction to let you know what the Mackenzie Friend is all about and the thinking behind it and how it came about. Because when I'm not acting, I work extensively in training, in particular as a role player. What is role playing? Well, in a nutshell... It's character-based training in the workplace. For example, if police officers are on a training course learning how to interview victims of a serious crime with sensitivity and kindness, then I, as a role player, will be the victim in order for them to train against. And when I find myself in a workshop training professionals who deal with domestic abuse, and I give this example of the judge laughing, I'm always met with shock and horror. A plethora of... That's disgusting. I can't believe it. But why can't you believe it? You work in this environment day in, day out. And what I've described about the judge laughing, it's nothing new. And it's nothing that hasn't been reported back by victims of domestic violence in the family courts again and again and again. So then I have to ask, why does someone who works in this environment day in, day out, still think that stuff like this doesn't happen, isn't happening, couldn't happen. Because that's what I used to think. I used to be a but surely person. But surely that doesn't happen. But surely a judge can't refuse to apply the law because their personal bias comes first. But surely judges are not allowed to dismiss police evidence simply because they're too busy flirting with the defence barrister. But surely a magistrate cannot tell a black woman that he finds it hard to believe that she could be a victim of domestic abuse because within the nature of his work as a magistrate, he's always found they are more than capable of looking after themselves. Quite aggressive by nature. But surely a judge cannot ignore the concerns of Kafkas and social workers, the school, when an abuser parent has hit his son round the head with a leather-soled shoe four times each blow harder than before dismissing it as simply going a tad too far on the discipline front but surely the judge in this instance cannot decide to award custody to the abusive parent simply because the mother had had the audacity to have postnatal depression seven years earlier when the child was born and therefore was obviously mentally unstable but surely you can just get a solicitor. But surely you can just get a barrister. But surely you can appeal. But surely, but surely, but surely. But then I found myself working as a Mackenzie friend. And I realised, but surely doesn't exist. It does happen. It is happening. And it will continue to happen. And if people who are working in this environment day in, day out don't know this, then who the hell is listening? I'd like to take a few moments to explain what a Mackenzie friend is. When a person goes to court without legal representation, they are what is known as a litigant in person or an LIP. And because they are on their own, they are, under certain circumstances, permitted to have a person sat with them. They are what's called a Mackenzie friend. The Mackenzie friend is not a replacement for legal representation. The Mackenzie friend cannot give legal advice. Nor can they speak on behalf of the litigant in person. They can just sit there and support. And how did I become a Mackenzie friend? Well, that was by pure accident. As a freelance artist, I've worked in many non-creative sectors, from supply teaching to medical education through to role-playing, where I'm training police officers, prison officers and legal professionals. And that's on top of the temping, promotions and anything in between like silver service waitressing. And I always thought I was lucky that I got to experience many sectors. It enriched me as an actor and a writer. All those characters and situations. I've always been a huge advocate that many of my role play colleagues would add such value to any story room. And it's a shame that our industry doesn't see the strengths in our non-creative CVs never knowing the richness of material that they miss out on. Then one day, I found myself at a training session for social workers. I was there as a role player, playing someone whose English was very weak, and it was teaching the social workers how to communicate with someone whose comfortable language may not be English. Afterwards, I was sought out by one of the participants. She worked for an organisation that helped women escape abusive marriages and they were at present working with a woman who needed help. It's not that she couldn't speak or understand English, but it had its limitations. It wasn't her comfortable language, and therefore she was limited to the kind of words she could use to describe what was happening to her. And would I be available to help transcribe her statement? As actors, we are so used to saying yes to everything that we don't often think about the logistics, so naturally, I didn't hesitate. And going back to what I said in the beginning, this was one thing that also changed my life. What I had to transcribe. The horror of what one person can do to another under the guise of, you deserve it, you made me do it. When a man thinks he has autonomy over a woman's body for no other reason than she's connected to him through matrimony. But nothing. No prior warning could have prepared me for when I found myself in court supporting her as a Mackenzie friend. To see the judge laugh when the defence barrister told her she wasn't attractive enough to be rapable, therefore it couldn't have happened. And despite all the evidence, the medical records, x-rays showing previous fractures, previous beatings, all topped off with his police statement. The judge agreed with the hate-filled barrister. Why would the husband want to rape her? And it's that word want. Because although this case happened a few years ago, right now, in 2022, the legal system still believes there's only one type of woman who can be legitimately raped. And if she doesn't fit the stereotype, then it couldn't have happened. And the extra caveat with this lady was that they treated her like shit because English wasn't her primary language. So another set of assumptions were made On top of the ones that are already made about women, regardless of their race or religion. Because in their eyes, she was just an insignificant little woman. And she wasn't. She wasn't insignificant. Not to me. Not to her children. Not to her place in the world. She had a name, and her name was Asha. And she deserved better from the legal system. And in my time as a Mackenzie friend, I've Mackenzie'd for many women, different races, religions, classes, and socioeconomic positions, and one thing remains. The family court hate women who highlight domestic abuse. Sky News's home editor Justin Farrell, on the twenty-first of september twenty twenty one, revealed in an exclusive report just what is happening to victims of domestic abuse in the family court. He spoke to Nicole Jacobs, who is the Domestic Violence Commissioner for the UK, and she told Sky News that solicitors and barristers routinely told victims of domestic abuse not to mention their abuse in court in front of a judge, as judges didn't like it. To them, it complicated matters. And this is a real prejudice that is happening in our family court right now. Surely that can't be right. Despite what I've spoken about so far, there are some great judges out there, and barristers and family law firms. There are some good ones as well, but it's the bad ones, the indifferent ones, the couldn't give a shit ones, only in it for the money ones, that eclipse what the great ones do and poison the reputation of an entire sector. I know of cases where judges have laughed, sniggered, guffawed, shouted at, humiliated, dismissed victims of domestic violence. I've seen barristers be allowed to do the same. And I've also seen judges and barristers team up like some sort of evil double act. And it doesn't matter how many times you see it, you hear it, you read about it, you never get used to it. I even saw a judge once call an abuser honourable because he admitted to what he did, via a police statement of course. He had beaten his wife so badly that they had to remove her womb due to internal bleeding. And by the time this got in front of the family courts, there was medical records, x-rays, scans that showed her injuries, x-rays and scans that showed historical injuries, Yet despite this evidence, the man denied it for ages while being interviewed with the police. She must have fallen. It must have been someone else. The bitch was stitching him up so she could turn the kids against him. And thanks to a brilliant detective not giving up, the abuser eventually admitted what he did. Now, don't get me wrong, the police do not come off lightly in these podcasts, but where they have been good, they also need to be praised. So this detective, got this man to admit what he had done. But even so, the admittance was full of victim-blaming. She made him do it. It was her fault. She wound him up. And this statement and other evidence were all in front of the judge, and she still felt the need to call him honourable. Because in her eyes, he had done the decent thing by admitting what he had done, therefore saving his wife the trauma of going to court. How low is the bar set for some people? You'll find I use the word she a lot. You see, the stereotype of judges and magistrates being older white to upper class men who are part of the old boys network, out of touch, well, in the family court, that's only partially true. When it comes to bad behaviour in the family courts of judges and magistrates, whether male, female, young, old, new, years of experience, it makes no difference. It's a whole orchard and not one bad apple a polluted and toxic environment for abusers to thrive. And what I found was, where the bad male judges didn't give a shit, they would quite happily downgrade attempted murder to a bit of marital disagreement. It was the female judges, magistrates in particular, that possessed an air of cruelty that surpassed any form of human understanding. And making an educated guess, the male judges behaved like that because they felt entitled to where the female judges, it was almost like they were going out of their way to prove they had what it took to run with the big boys, and if they over-egged the pudding in the process, so be it. And in Marianne's case, the lady that needed to have her womb removed. The magistrate decided, on her own whim, off her own back, that she was going to reassign and downgrade the severity of this case, and you know why? For no other reason than in her eyes Marianne had been stupid enough to get herself pregnant while still in her late teens. It wasn't that bad because she already had two children and in a way would stop her having any more. And I saw the barrister giggle under his breath and something just exploded inside of me. And I know it's not about me, not at all. I looked at the judge and it was then that I realised. These were the stories I was born to tell or the hill I was meant to die on, either or. You see, it's been made very clear to me that if I identify any real-life case, I could end up in jail for contempt of court. But, as my dad used to say, no one changed the world by staying quiet. You see, that's the thing about the family court. All cases and hearings have reporting restrictions. There is no transparency, and people are stopped from speaking about their experiences. So when people say, but why don't we know about this? It's because you're not allowed to know. And that's how the system thrives. And many, after the abuse they've suffered, are too petrified to speak out in case it opens up a can of worms. And it's not that media outlets won't touch these cases. They can't. If they could report on them, they would. In fact, there are some fabulous articles already out there which highlight what happens to people in the family court. Now mix those restrictions with a system with no accountability and a high level of patriarchy at its heart. Of course, a corrupted and bastardised family court is what you're going to end up with. And that's where Selina was born. A fictional creation. A Mackenzie friend who had been there herself. And as long as she was fictional and there was no real persons or cases identified, and everything I talked about was adapted or based on real-life events, I'd be able to do what I set out to do, blow the lid on what is happening in the family court. It was important that the character I created wasn't a saviour. Many Mackenzie friends are family court survivors themselves, having been there. And these women, they are brave enough because despite the severe levels of trauma and PTSD, they go back to the scene of their crime again and again and again in order to hold the hands of those that come after? Because while judges and magistrates are hell-bent on creating a hostile environment for abuse victims, who else is there to hold the hands of these women? And before we go, I just want to add this one little verbal footnote. Memoirs of a Mackenzie Friend focuses on what happens in the family court not the criminal, and when there's abuse involved pre and post separation and one party finds themselves unable to obtain legal help, and whilst the other side has been allowed to maintain full control of the family assets, and has therefore a whole legal team, hardly a fair fight. It's a very specific problem that's all too common, yet our judiciary seem to be clueless about its occurrence. And although this series will focus on female victims of male partner violence, that does not mean that I am suggesting that men cannot be victims and women cannot be perpetrators. There are many types of domestic abuse where anyone can be a perpetrator or victim, be it man, woman or child. And in many relationships from cohabiting, marriage through to multi-generational households. Putting each strand into one big conversational pot makes effective advocating for each type of victim hard. Each one has its own challenges and deserves to be understood by looking at the different attitudes towards different victims. Such as, female victims of male violence tend to report that their credibility was questioned before anything else. Men face the attitude of, sorry for my language, being a pussy, a pansy. More so if their height, weight, physique and dare I say it, profession goes against the effeminate stereotype of a bloke who can't keep his bird in check and then in multi-generational households, where abusers are not just your intimate partner. And that's what I will look at in series two. But in the meantime, for this series, I give you Memoirs of a Mackenzie Friend. Memoirs of a Mackenzie Friend is sponsored by IamLIP.com. If you are struggling with any of the issues discussed in today's episode, please go to www.iamlip.com where you can receive further information and help. Disclaimer. The stories mentioned in this episode are fictional accounts based on and adapted from real-life experiences. Due to the repetitive nature of the family court, any similarities to any other cases are purely coincidental.